This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome to Going Ultra. This time I'm talking about Ultraman Z, Ultraman Z, the dub, episode 21, actually. And I'll start off with the credits. The uh, title of the episode is D4. It was originally aired on November 21st, 2020. That's a while ago. The director is Masayoshi, yeah, Masayoshi Takasue, and the screenplay was written by Satoshi Suzuki. So, uh, I'm really, man, Cydrix. Cydrix, right? That's part of, your, part of your username? I'm really curious as to what you're going to say and what the general consensus in the ultra fan, uh, in the ultra fandom is about this because while I think Z is a great like I think Z is one of the greatest Toku I've ever seen. Uh, I've watched I don't know 12 to 15 uh, Common Rider, uh, you know Heisei, mostly Neo or you know I guess second gen Heisei or whatever post double, uh, you know double and beyond, uh, double and beyond to uh, zero one. I refused to watch Zio because uh, it looked like it was going to be dumb. Um, I watched and absolutely adored Kiva. Um, I've seen Gokaiger and Go. Oh no, what was the next one? Go Busters. Oh, whew, Go Busters is a great show. Uh, I watched most of Kyoruja. I dropped off at about like episode 40 because I just didn't like it anymore. And uh, I watched all of the uh, the space one, Q Ranger. Uh, I really liked that one a lot. And I don't know what else, as far as Super Sentai cred I have. I haven't watched any show Super Sentai. I've watched all of Kamen Rider Black. Um, most of, uh, not most of, like the first 40 or so episodes of the original 1971 Kamen Rider, which is like top tier, absolutely top tier. And uh, anyway, so just to give you some of my Toku cred, I, and also, see, I don't want to be like political or too personal, but like, I'm just going to show it a little bit. Like... I believe that people should, I, I believe people have the right to defend themselves and I believe people have the right to like, you know, have powerful defense for themselves. So this moral question of the D4 that's raised in this episode is interesting. And like, I get that there's outside ma manipulation going on and I can appreciate that, but I kind of don't understand what Haruki's issue, what Yoko's issue, what Yuka's issue, what Hebikura's issue is with the D4. Like, it would almost make more sense to me if they were cautiously in support of it, because we had Bako earlier questioning whether or not they should have the power of King Joe. And he might have even kind of brought up, hey, should we be using this uh, Nirongo horn? I hope I'm saying that right. The Nirongo horn to like supercharge, super speed, like, you know, fast charge, uh, Windham, and like utilize all this power. Like, he might have said a little something about that. But then when they wanted him to build King Joe or modify it to be used as you know, storage custody King Joe, he was a little dubious about that. But after seeing it operate, he was happy with it. Then, like the, the morality of being, you know, lethal protectors, lethal destroyers who, you know, kill Kaiju was brought up with Haruki and uh, the Red King that he killed. And like it reminding him of his dad and how his dad was killed and, you know, saving people from the kaiju and stuff and it's you know i i do appreciate the questioning of power and the use of power and uh you know yoko talks about how she wants to take on the burden of taking a life because she 
believes morally that, you know, defending people's lives is worth having the scars and suffering with the consequences of having taken a life. And that's, you know, noble and beautiful. And Haruki comes to that. Uh, he hears that. But then he comes to that assessment himself and believes in that as well. And seeing that growth and that transformation in him and that struggle is really good and beautiful. And I love it. However, none of that really causes this to make sense that they would immediately be against the D4. Yes, the D4 is extremely destructive. Yes, the uh, dimension-breaking you know, technology is scary, and it should give them pause, potentially, but the idea of having this weapon to use in an extreme circumstance doesn't really seem to me like something that they should oppose outright. And uh, I think I've made the case that I'm not, like, I don't know, out to lunch on this one. I'm saying caution is good, and they should definitely be careful, and there needs to be a balance there. And I, I guess I just wish, you know, the, the crater in the ground, like, that's not the, the, the two-kilometer diameter crater, that's not really sufficient for me to say we cannot use this weapon because I don't know if that was the weapon at full blast. I don't know if you can turn it down. Um, I don't know if it's uh, that was like a wide dispersal versus a directional one. Uh, like, there's a lots of unknowns that they didn't really clarify or didn't really uh, explore or ask about. So I'm a little dubious as to why it's an immediate no. And, you know, is the concept of using a, a weapon that messes with dimensions probably not a good idea? Yeah, probably not, but, I mean, I don't know that, you know, the, the Zestium Ray or Zestium Beam is any healthier or more normal of a thing to use, and no one else knows that either, and nobody's measured it to, like, assess it for uh, secondary negative effects. They're just assuming that it's okay, and anyway, I just kind of, I kind of find that curious. Um, I'm going to move on from that, because... I spent a lot more time talking about than I, that than I thought I would. So I'll go ahead and say this, that uh, it's interesting the amount of conflict that it brings in and that Maya Yuki, I believe was her name, the, the you know, Gafje lady who comes in. I know, Global Allied Forces Japan. I'm, I'm not being weird about it. Um, she, uh, first of all, she's a very dislikable person. <laughs> very unlikable. Um, so good job on the, uh, the original actress's you know, performance, and I think good job on the, uh, the voice actress too, because she captures a kind of like smug, arrogant, like, I don't know, like, some sort of aspect that just makes her very unlikable. So, uh, you know, good job. Good job, both of you. Anyway, um, but like the way she comes in and takes over is obviously super aggressive, and that's a good reason for uh, things to be suspicious and for them to be concerned about what they're going to do. And maybe if they were being like more secretive about the weapon, I could see automatically them being, you know, real dubious, but they're being pretty upfront about the fact that they want to use this new special weapon. And anyway, that drawing the ire and suspicion of everybody, again, just doesn't work for me. But uh, I thought it was super interesting that Baco like threw hands at this woman. He grabs her by her, uh, her armor uh, that she's wearing, like, her flak jacket thing, and, you know, what if your sim is wrong? And, like, he looked, like, was he gonna slap her? Like, what are you doing, Baco? 
<laughs> uh, I'm just gonna make the joke because you know we're all adults here, right? And kids, this is a joke if you're any kids listening. And of course, I don't. Again, because of my beliefs, I don't believe you should put hands on anybody unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, and by absolutely necessary, I mean like you know to protect your life or the life of somebody else. But him, you know. And Baco, where did you learn to hit a woman like that? It's just something I picked up along the way. Uh, that's not... I mean, that's funny. But it's because it's a joke. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. That's that's all kind of interesting. So, it's just like really, you know, getting to a, a, a high tension. And things are really ratcheting up. And I just... I find it curious. And we had that moment in the hallway where the commander guy passes by the, uh, you know, Celebro in his new form. I'm almost surprised that Celebro's not in... Uh, Maya Yuki, right? Maya Yuki. I'm pretty sure. I like. I'm really surprised that he's not in her, because like, she would be a very logical person for him to be in, especially if he's got plans to like do the most harm. Although, I mean, Ebikura was no, Ebikura. Uh, Kaburagi was like a, a pretty low tier guy that he was able to use to mess with. So maybe the idea of being able to move in the shadows is enough for him. I don't know, but I would think like with. I don't know. With all the moves that she's making, it's almost surprising that she doesn't have Celebro in her, I guess you could say. So that's pretty interesting. All right, so um, I'm going to try to wrap this up real quick. Uh, let's see. I have a interesting idea of what to do with the rest of this episode, and I'm going to be going to be doing a running commentary on it. So let's see how this works out. This is the first time I've ever tried to do this sort of thing. So let's see. In a couple seconds, I'm going to skip an ad, and then I will keep going. So you let me know what you think about this uh, different format. I've already watched the episode once. I was going through a second time so I could get my notes made for it, and uh, it just struck me that this could be a cool way to go about it. So anyway. Uh, but yeah, that, um, oh man, that kaiju that comes along, the uh, Kelbim that Hebikura is used to or knows of, uh, I thought that was a fun detail um, it's always, you know, interesting when things kind of slip for him. And, uh, anyway, that's, that monster's got a real awesome design. The fact that it keeps, like, reproducing is interesting. Oh, uh, something about, one of the concerns that they raised was that, uh, the Padanium of King Joe might not be able to handle the D4 ray. Like, using the D4 weapon might destroy... King Joe. That's a concern that they have. Even if, it, if it's Padamian, Padanium. We don't know that it'll be with it will withstand, whatever. So, is Padanium some sort of metal from Ultraman that I don't know about? Probably. Um, and like like a Chrome Digizoid <laughs> from Digimon. Um, so, I guess that would make sense. And that's kind of a, a cool idea that there's this you know special metal. And, you know, when they talked about Padanium, I don't know, Padanium Fist, Padanium Missiles and all that stuff. I didn't really know what they were talking about. I assumed it was something in the, you know, world building in the lore that I didn't know and you know I just accepted it so you know like you do um so I thought that was pretty a, a neat little detail and I'm pretty sure that's what it is you know by the hints given in this episode so uh again I like that um so yeah this Calvin thing being attracted to power and Hebikura saying the line you know power attracts power that's interesting but what's the alternative to not have power and then be taken over, be killed, be destroyed. Like, there, I can understand. Like, if it was more that the dimensional rift attracted them, 
that would make sense to me. But just the concept and the raw idea of power attracts power. If you apply that broad spectrum to everything, then like, why didn't King Joe summon Kelbum? Why didn't, uh, you know, Wyndham summon Kel Kelbum? Like, it's a little bit of a logical inconsistency. If it was something different, like, if it was Malice that summoned them, or if it was, I don't know what, just like something different than just raw power, it would make sense. Maybe it's the D-Force specifically has, like I said, some sort of dimension thing, like, that's related to Yapul that uh, makes sense that Calvin would be attracted to it. Uh, I would prefer that. But that's not what, that's not what the case was, so... I just, I have a little bit of a quip with that. I mean... This isn't all. This isn't an all complaints episode. It's just kind of a back and forth analyzing stuff as as it's coming to mind. And there's a, some inconsistencies that don't quite make sense, or things that I'm just not aware of, maybe that make it a little bit weaker. Even though in its presentation, I appreciate it and I think it's really cool. Um, speaking of something that's really cool and the presentation of it is really awesome, uh, Zet in space with Belly Rock being like a you know giant purple flowing or glowing laser sword that's like, you know, twice or three times the length of Zet so he can defeat that Kelbum mother out in space is awesome. And the colossal scale of that Kelbum mother, mothership thing is freaky. And those meteorites that are coming down, I guess that means that those are actually her eggs that she's shooting down at Earth. And if she's so powerful, I don't even know what she needs. <laughs> like, what is she doing? Is she going to eat the, the D4 ray or what? I don't know. But anyway, him fighting her in space looks absolutely awesome, and I absolutely love it. And, you know, I really like, though, that while they're raising these concerns over the D4 ray and its level of power, that Zed himself says, hey, uh, it might be good for humans to have this kind of power, because then they can defend Earth without me or without us. And that's not a bad thing necessarily and that people have to you know the earthlings need to decide whether or not they use this power and i found that really fascinating and really like uh mature and evolved and uh you know very wise of him and i really appreciate that and i appreciate that while the humans and hebeker are all freaking out about the d4 ray that he offers this more nuanced uh, position on it because he has he's coming from such a different perspective and he wields so much power and you know i I would argue that his power rivals that of the D4, especially with how he neutralizes the hole in space by dumping a Zestium ray into it. So, I mean, does Ultraman Zet have power that is similar to or matches the D4 ray? And if so, would he have attracted Kelbum all on his own? I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of confusing. And, you know, I appreciate things being written vaguely so that they can be modified and... Uh, you know, utilized in the best, most flexible way possible for the creative team. But at the same time, when certain things don't make sense, it, it just makes it harder to, I don't know, accept harder to see what you're doing and it muddles the point that you're making. And I think that is a bad thing because, well, you don't want your point muddled. You want it to be absolutely as clear as possible. So uh, with that, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, I don't really have much more else to say, except for I'm so excited for this, uh, you know, wrap-up of the show, where it's going. It's going really interesting places, and I think it has something really interesting to say, and that's, you know, part of what I appreciate, uh, appreciate from it so much. Um, although, uh, 
you know, they did the Shining Fingers before, and uh, I believe Zet has held uh, Yoko in a mecha oh, once already, and I might have brought up that it reminded me of G Gundam there, but definitely uh, there was that moment in G Gundam towards the end when spoilers happen, and Domun holds Rain inside of another mech. Uh, they're both in Gundams, and he holds her in one, and it reminded me of that. And I, I really like the subtle, like... I mean, I know it's because he's her friend and, and they, you know, like to care about each other, but the little subtle romantic things between uh, Yoko and Haruki really make me happy and are a lot of fun for me uh, to see, <laughs> especially when they happen to be G Gundam uh, references. Oh, and I, I can't believe that they uh, kicked out the, um, the standard storage people, that they fired them. Uh, I mean, I guess it does make sense, but it's also kind of crazy, and it's a very bold move I wouldn't have expected necessary, necessarily. So, anyway, this is a good show. It's very exciting. Uh, even when I'm having issues with it, I'm still thoroughly entertained and uh, am happy with how it continues to be interesting and provocative and cool all at the same time. So, anyway, with that, this is MJ. Uh, hoping that you would be well. And I am signing out for now, and I ask that you look forward to the next one. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.